Thanks for joining us here at Temple Baptist Church in Centralia, Illinois, where we are a community of people who are not perfect and don't pretend to be. If you would like to see other resources or learn more about our ministry, check out www.tbccentralia.com. Our hope and prayer is that through the following message, you are encouraged, blessed, and inspired to meet the Lord in a powerful way. All right, if you would, open up your Bibles to the book of Acts. And if you, I, I would put a marker right there in Acts uh, chapter 7. And then I would find a Luke 21 and put a marker there. So I want to start this Sunday off uh, as we are in week 2 of the beginning of the end times. And last week I introduced you to a concept called uh, the fullness of the Gentiles. And I started off uh, giving you three different principles. And I just want to remind you what those principles were. And the first one was this. Uh, don't take my word for it. No matter what you hear me say, uh, I encourage you to listen with an ear of skepticism and then go and find it in God's word yourself. Uh, so 2 Timothy 2.15 tells us to study to show ourselves approved. All right, Not just come and listen to sermons, but to study God's word. Uh, Acts 17.11, it, it talked about a group of, of believers called the Berean Church. And they, uh, what it said was they got together and studied the Word of God every day. Uh, this past week we had uh, an example. If you, if you look in your, um, the inserts under upcoming events, um, each Tuesday at 7 p.m. we've opened up our home and we're doing a, a Bible study called Going Deeper. And 16 of us went a little bit deeper. We spent 90 minutes talking about the seven different churches. Uh, last week, I, I went through those very briefly in the, the message. Um, although the message wasn't brief, I went through the seven churches briefly. And um, then we spent uh, and just devoured those seven books and saw what God uh, had to say to us about them. And it was a very exciting time. Uh, we're doing that again this, uh, this uh, Tuesday at 7 p.m. The address is right there in the bulletin insert. So if you're, if you're free or you just want to uh, ask more questions or dig a little bit deeper with us, uh, join us at 7 o'clock. Um, and so the third uh, piece of advice I gave you is this, is that we are going to rely on the whole counsel of God. While, yes, we are going to be going through the book of Revelation, uh, we are going to be looking from Genesis all the way through Revelation to not only verify, but to help us understand what God has put out there very plainly, though sometimes when we read it, it doesn't seem plain at all. And then last week, I uh, introduced you to what was called the, uh, the Valley of the Church, or the fullness of the Gentiles. And I showed you a picture where uh, here is the prophet, and as the prophet was given the message by the Lord, what they could see was they could see that mountaintop of uh, the Messiah coming. They could see that mountaintop of the uh, crucifixion happening in the Messiah um, being offered up as a sacrifice for our sins. And then they even saw further into the future another mountain uh, where Jesus is going to come again. And uh, what they did not see, and you don't hear them talk about, was uh, right there, that valley. It's called the Valley of the Church. And it's uh, what you'll hear me refer to as the Gentiles' fullness. Uh, Jesus spoke to this, um, and I'm going to show you that in Luke today. He also, uh, uh, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 11, verse 25, uh, uh, talked about this. 
And so we need to understand that this is a very specific time in, in history. This is a very specific time that God has ordained, and this time will come to an end. And I want to kind of share with you a little bit of uh, how that's going to happen. I'll also talk to you um, about the divine outline of Revelation. And, um, and we find that in Revelation verses 119. I'm just going to read this to you. And it says, Write therefore the things that you have seen. That was what, if you read through uh, chapter 1, uh, John was uh, taken to the spiritual world where he got to see Jesus. He got to see uh, what the heavenly host looked like and, and what one day we are going to get to experience. And then he, not only did he say write about those things, but then he said write those things that are. And that's where in chapters 2 and 3 in, verses in, in a Revelation, um, he spoke about the seven different churches. And then the last thing, and so it's a three-part outline. It says, those that are to take place after this. That's going to be Revelation chapter 4 all the way to the end. And I'm excited to lead us there as a church. And remember, what did, the, what did he say in verse uh, 3 of Revelation 1? And that was, blessed are those that read. Blessed are those that hear. Blessed are those that study. Are you ready to receive a blessing? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, God, I just uh, ask that your message will be heard. As we dig into uh, what you have for us, God, I just pray that you would uh, bless the hearer. Lord, that I would be faithful to deliver your message. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Today I want to talk to you about uh, Israel's fullness. The, the, the time, and, and I've titled this called the Jerusalem Connection, um, the Fullness of Israel. And what I want you to see is that the, the time of the Gentiles will absolutely end and God will transition. He will finish a work that he started. Um, and the way that I want to kind of explain this to you is I want to talk about God's end time clock. And so when I think about God's end time clock, there's, there's three components to this. And the first component is the nation of Israel. And the nation of Israel is one way to look at this as an hour hand. Uh, you know the hour hand never goes as fast as you want to, but sometimes uh, when you look up, it's gone a lot further than you expected it to. It's interesting when we think about the nation of Israel, a very small country. The uh, land mass is about the size of our state of New Jersey, and yet you can rarely open up or listen to uh, any kind of news that's going on that the nation of Israel or the city of Jerusalem is not uh, talked about. Here's what's interesting. Since the founding of the United Nations, 55% of all resolutions deal with Israel. Can you believe that? I can. In 2016 alone, the UN, the United Nations, passed 24 resolutions. Out of those 24, Israel was the object of 20 of those. And folks, these aren't good resolutions. These are things that are an indictment on this small country. And what I would ask you is, why all the hate? Why all the hatred for this tiny nation? Um, based on our calendar, is 70 years young. Well, there's a lot more going on. Because we see this in the news, we hear uh, uh, a lot of bad things. If you know anything about history, you'll know that they have uh, absolutely uh, been picked out and picked on. And so what explains this irrational obsession with the Jews in Jerusalem and Israel? When you think about the Middle East, it's a, a flame. If, if you just look at Libya, Syria, and Yemen, Syria alone in the last few years have killed more than 400,000 people. 
under the leadership of Assad. And millions of refugees have been spread throughout the world. Well, let me just kind of walk you through a little bit of Israel's history. And the easiest way to do this is I would challenge you, and I'm not going to read this verse by verse, but I would challenge you to open up your Bible sometime and read Acts chapter 7. And what happens here is this is where um, Stephen is stoned. And I, I don't know if you know uh, anything about Stephen, but Stephen was just a, a layperson in the church. He, um, he, he was somebody who uh, followed the Lord. Uh, he wasn't a pastor. He wasn't a deacon. He was, he was Stephen. And so Stephen, um, when he was brought before the Sanhedrin, uh, this was his accounting. And he does a beautiful job of talking about the nation of Israel and their history in front of the, the Jewish leaders. And if you, if you were to read through there, uh, starting in verse 1, he introduces everyone and reminds them of the father of the nation of Israel, and his name was Abraham. You see, the reason why Israel is important to us as believers today is that um, it is a fulfillment of God's covenant with its founder, Abraham. And you know what? This covenant greatly affects every one of us. The playing out of all prophetic events concerning Israel places us absolutely in the last days. Last week I told you that we are on the doorstep for the return of Jesus. And as you look at Israel, you'll see that these things are true. And what's incredible is that as God took Abraham and he, he uh, made of them a nation, he gave them a promise, here's what he said. He said, I will bless those that bless you and I will curse those that curse you. I don't know if you've been watching uh, very uh, closely, but there's been one nation that has uh, historically stood with Israel. That's the United States of America. Folks, you know, uh, Billy Graham made this statement. He goes, if God doesn't judge America, he'd have to apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. But I think one of the things that we can factor in is that God's promise is that he'll bless those who bless Israel. And we as a nation have absolutely been a blessing, have been a help. And, and I believe that's maybe one of the reasons why we haven't seen God's judgment. As you walk further along, but, but let me say this, that it won't hold off forever. Because the, the scripture tells us that every nation will turn against Israel at some point. There's only one left, right? If you go to verse 6 of Acts chapter 7, it tells you this, that Joseph sustained the nation of Israel. You know, um, here he was sold into slavery by his brothers, and he told his brothers when they, he finally revealed himself, he goes, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. I'd like to give you that word of encouragement as things are happening in your life that you don't understand. And you know, I'll bet that when Joseph was pulled out of that pit and he was being dragged along on that caravan to where he was sold into slavery in Potiphar's house, I will bet that sometimes he might have questioned God's providence and God's plan for his life. And he might have given his brothers a little bit too much credit for what was happening. Yet, on the other side, when we look back, our vision is 2020. And Joseph's vision was 2020. He realized that what they meant for evil, God used and meant for good. And I'm here to tell you as your pastor that there are things going on in your life that it seems like your friends, your families, the, those around you, somebody at work means evil. But folks, stay faithful to the creator of this world. Stay faithful to your Savior. 
Because I believe that you will find out that what the world meant for evil, God, will turn around and he will bring good. You know, uh, what Joseph did there, uh, he revealed the dream and uh, there were seven years of plenty coming and seven years of famine on the way. And so he helped the Pharaoh of Egypt to plan for this so that the entire world practically came to Egypt and survived because of that. Well, what happened is the uh, nation of Israel, the, the people of Israel, those that were of the family of Abraham, found a place of security there in Egypt. And they grew to become a mighty nation. And then they became uh, enslaved by the Egyptians. And so for 400 years, they suffered. And then God raised up a man by the name of Moses. And in verse 20 through 44 in Acts chapter 7, um, Stephen explains exactly what happened. And, and not only do, you, do we see that uh, what God had intended for Moses, but we also see that Satan tried to thwart it. And having Pharaoh kill all of the, the males. But you know what? He was unsuccessful. Matter of fact, he was so unsuccessful that God protected Moses and had him raised by Pharaoh's daughter. He got the best schooling, best training, the best of everything. You see, God wants that for us, especially when he has a big mission. And he had a giant mission for Moses. Well, in verse 45 of Acts chapter 7, we see that Joshua takes over for Moses. Moses passes on, and Joshua leads the nation of Israel after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. He leads them into Canaan land, the promised land. And, and it was a, a time that they had to conquer. There were uh, giants. There were nations that were already in there, um, and God delivered. And then it finishes, and it tells you this, that then came along David. And David established uh, the throne of Israel. And we know that through David was one day the Messiah, the King of Israel, the, the Savior of the world, was going to come. This is a great history. But if you continue to read beyond Acts chapter 7, you'll know that in AD 70, the Romans destroyed Israel. They destroyed Jerusalem. And what started was an 1,870-year scattering or dispersion of the children of Israel. You know, um, no other group of people, no other nation has been destroyed and come back almost 2,000 years later. But the children of Israel have. Because in 1948, they were a nation once again. If you've ever read the book of Ezekiel in the 37th chapter, um, it talks about Ezekiel uh, and the Lord told him to preach to this valley of dry bones. And this valley of dry bones was none other than the nation of Israel. One day they would be scattered to the uttermost parts of the earth and then God would, would put flesh back onto them. He would breathe life back into them. In 1948, we saw that fulfillment. You know, today, 8 million Jews live in the nation of Israel. 2018, something happened. In 2018, the United States recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. You know, this is a big deal because um, this has not always been the case. If you think about the history of Jerusalem itself as a city, in the year 1000 B.C., 
King David conquered the city of Jerusalem and he made that the capital of Israel. And then in 1967, I don't know if you ever heard of this thing called the Six-Day War, but during the Six-Day War, Israel recaptured um, the entire city of Jerusalem. And I don't, if, you'll do, if you're a history buff, you should study about the, the Six-Day War because the nation of Israel, with less than 200,000 soldiers, stood up to Libya, stood up to Egypt, stood up to Jordan, stood up to Syria. And these four nations alone had almost ten times the firepower. And yet God's hand was upon Israel. And he allowed them to triple the amount of land that they controlled. Let me show you in the Bible in Zechariah chapter 12, and I'll just read this very quickly to you. So in the year 500 B.C., Zechariah has this prophecy. He says, The oracle of the word of the Lord concerning Israel. Thus declares the Lord, who stretched out the heavens and founded the earth and formed the spirit of man within him. Behold, I'm about to make Jerusalem a cup of staggering to all the surrounding peoples. The siege of Jerusalem will also be against Judah. On that day, I will make Jerusalem a heavy stone for all the peoples. All who lift it will surely hurt themselves. And all the nations of the earth will gather against it. Folks, this has been so true of the nation of Israel. There has been nations that have um, gone up against Jerusalem, have conquered it, only to find themselves at the wrath of God when it was all said and done. And folks, that won't stop because in 2017, uh, we saw Israel was recognized as the capital one more time. You know, this was not a popular decision. Matter of fact, if you look, uh, you'll find out in uh, history that um, our president, uh, Bill Clinton, had said that he was going to recognize Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. But that never happened. Then after him, uh, President Bush said that I'm going to recognize Jerusalem as the capital. But that never happened. After him, President Obama said, I'm going to recognize uh, Jerusalem as the capital city of Israel. But that didn't happen. Matter of fact, you can see, read the tweet there where he said, uh, I take back what I just said. But just a couple of years ago, the President of the United States recognized Jerusalem as the capital. And it's interesting that this was 70 years from the time that Israel was, had become a nation. You know, God is at work. And if we looked at the, uh, the, the time clock of uh, God's end time, you will see that uh, Israel was the hour hand. Well, the city of Jerusalem absolutely is the second hand. And if you look closely, you will find out that the Temple Mount, I'm sorry, the Temple Mount is the second hand. Jerusalem is the, the minute hand. What do I mean by the Temple Mount? Um, I, you know, let's take a look at a, a picture of what the Temple Mount looks like. Now, when you look at that, you probably think that that big building there is a mosque, but it's not, because there is a mosque on the Temple Mount. It's the little building right beside it. And this is where God's temple was built. You know, the first temple was built by Solomon. It was built in the year 960 B.C. And um, it was a magnificent building. Well, a magnificent structure and in 586 King Nebuchadnezzar came and destroyed Jerusalem seven years later 
children of Israel were released by none other than King Cyrus. King Cyrus was the Persian leader. He was the leader of Iran. And he released them in 516 B.C. to rebuild the temple. And so a second temple was built. And then a little over 580 years later, it was destroyed by the Romans. Folks, I'm here to tell you that the scripture tells us that there's a third temple that's going to be built. It's coming soon to a temple mountain near you. When, I don't know, but I can tell you that this is what's happening right now. To this day, traditional Jews pray three times a day for the temple's restoration. I can tell you in 2013, all the equipment was uh, built and is ready to start the third temple. Can tell you that they have used the uh, the genealogy uh, things that you have seen, and you probably have many of you have, have uh, invested in, and they have uh, identified the priestly bloodline and verified who is able to make up those offerings. As a matter of fact, uh, just two years ago, they started doing practicing uh, sacrifices. But I want you to understand that when it comes to the nation of Israel, I want to show you the contrast between Israel and the church. Because this is what we need to understand. I hope you like the history, and I hope that you value what we as a country have uh, stood for in protecting uh, Israel. But I also want to remind you that there's a heresy out there that tells people that the church has replaced the nation of Israel. Folks, it's not. You know, that's a message straight from Satan because, you know, God's not done. And so in Luke 21, I just want to read a couple of verses to you. If you open up your Bibles, I'm going to start reading in verse 5. And here Jesus talks about the destruction of the temple. And he says that while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he being Jesus, said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Now, that is of significance because these stones weren't the size of this monitor here. They were actually probably the size of the stage. And what's interesting is, why would anybody just topple those stones? Well, here's where the Word of God is faithful when he prophesies. Uh, What had happened was they had burnt and set to fire the temple. And if you know anything about the temple, there was a lot of gold inside that temple. And that gold melted because of the heat of the fire and poured down into the cracks of those stones. And the Roman soldiers were so greedy for the spoils of war that they turned those stones over, giant stones, toppled them to the ground so they could get to that gold. In verse 7, and they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be, and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And Jesus said, See that you are not led astray. Remember last week, I said, he told us many times, Be not deceived. Don't be led astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he. And the time is at hand. Don't go after them. Verse 9, and when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. And if just through our lives, we have seen wars and tumults all throughout the world. And then he changes the subject. 
In verse 10, he says, Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilences, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. In verse 12, But before all this... And so let me just help you with uh, something. If, you are, if you've ever heard of a thing called the Olivet Discourse... Uh, in Matthew chapter 24, and I'll be sharing this in an upcoming sermon. In Matthew chapter 24, Jesus prophesies his returning. And he speaks of all of these things that we're hearing here in Luke chapter 21. And then Mark does the same thing. And so it's easy as a student of the Bible to think about, well, these are the synoptic gospels. The stories that you see in Matthew are in, Mo- are in Mark, and then again you see them in Luke. But here was one of those times where it was different. This was absolutely a different time than the Olivet Discourse because, number one, he wasn't on the Mount of Olives when he was saying this. And number two, he says, but before all this, if you go in Matthew 24, he says, after all of this. And so listen, what he, why is he telling his believers about this? In verse 12, but before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you. Delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons. You know it was the church that was the one persecuting them. The the Jewish church. The Pharisees. The Sadducees. And you will be brought before kings and governors for my name's sake. In verse 13. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it therefore in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Verse 16, you will be delivered up even by your parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. And verse 17, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Verse 18, but not a hair of your head will perish. And verse 19, by your endurance you will gain your lives. So now Jesus is, he, he, he talked about the, the end times and then he switches gears and now he, he's talking about them right now, what they're going to go through, what's about to happen over the next 40, 50, 60 years of their lives. But then in verse 20, he changes the topic one more time. In verse 20, he says, But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. And when Jesus is saying this, this is AD 32. I've told you that in AD 70, Jerusalem was destroyed. In verse 21, it says, Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Let me just explain to you what happened here. At that time, Nero was the emperor, and he, was, uh, he had... Uh, d- decided to take his best general, whose name was Vespian, and to go and reconquer Israel because Israel had risen up around 8066 and had reestablished their nation and, and control over that, had thrown the Romans out. Nero got tired of that, and, and so he sent um, his, his best, and that was Vespasian. And um, while Vespasian was on his way and actually had started conquering Israel, and now he had gotten to the last thing that they needed to take, and that was the city of Jerusalem, Nero dies. And at that point, um, with Jerusalem surrounded, there's a little bit of flux going on with the, the Roman army. And so Vespasian heads back to Rome, and he ends up becoming the emperor and sends his son Titus to be the general in charge of the army that's there. But here's what happened. During that 12-month time period, which it took for um, Vespasian to uh, be recognized because there was a lot of political turmoil, 
and to be recognized as the emperor, for 12 months, those armies just sat around the city of Jerusalem. And the, the children of uh, the Christians at that time were taught this by his followers. And here's what happened. They left the city. They listened to his words. The Jews did not. And so when Titus and his army came in, they killed over a million Jews. And, and if you look at the, the his, historical documents, the books, um, uh, especially by the uh, one called Josephus, he said that none of the Christians were killed during that time. Why? Because they heard the message that Jesus had given in Luke 24 to his disciples, and they shared that, and when they saw that they were surrounded, they left. And they spread this message throughout the world. Verse 23, alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles. Listen, this is what Jesus said until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. See, this is the valley. This is beginning the valley of the church. Beginning the time of the Gentiles. And at some point, um, it is going to reach a point where it is fulfilled, where the number that God has established that will come to know him as their savior will be reached. And the next event in the prophetic calendar is going to happen. The time of the Gentiles is coming to an end soon, and what that means is the time for Israel's fullness is about to begin. But here I want you to understand that Israel will endure. Let me give you five very uh, simple reasons. Number one, the first reason is that the Israel was birthed by the plan of God. If you see in Genesis chapter 12 verse 1, now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house and to the land that I will show you. You know, so it's, if you think about this, why Abraham? You know, Abraham wasn't the most powerful nation. Matter of fact, he had the smallest family at that time. He was not, there was nothing special about Abraham. God chose him. Folks, I hope you're, you're seeing the parallel. There's nothing special about us individually, yet God has chosen us. You know, it's not our ability, it's not who we are, what we stand for. It's about the fact that the creator of the universe has uh, selected you. You just have to say yes. The second reason that Israel is going to endure is that God's name is upon them. If you look at the name Israel, the word El in there means the sovereign God. If you put the, the word together, it's Yisrael, and it's actually a combination of two words, and that is Sarah and God. And the name of Sarah means to contend. Now, if you know your uh, history, Sarah had uh, two sons, one through um, Abraham, and then there was another one born through a concubine. And to this day, we have political troubles because of that. If you think about the, the name El or Sovereign God, there's a bunch of different iterations of this. El Elyon, the Most High God. Or you may have read El Olam, the Everlasting God. Or El Roy, the Strong One Who Sees. And if you've listened to Amy Grant in the day, you've heard of El Shaddai, the Lord God Almighty. Or maybe you've heard the word Elohim, the God of power and of might. God's name is upon the nation of Israel. They are going to remain. 
And the third reason is that there's a covenant with God for Jerusalem and for the land. I don't know if you can see that map very well, but here's where it is explained in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 18. It says this, On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I give this land. And then he gives the boundaries. From the river of Egypt, which is the Nile River, and to the great river, the river Euphrates. Now, I don't know if you realize that, but that map's a little bigger than the nation of Israel. It's a lot bigger than New Jersey. Matter of fact, uh, I think that's pretty close to the size of the United States. One day, Israel is going to be given all of that land. The fourth reason is that uh, Israel is under prophetic mandate. Genesis 17, 7 and 8 says, And I will give you and your offsprings after the land of your sojournings all the land of Canaan for an everlasting position, and I will be their God. You know, sometimes we read these words and we don't understand what God means when he says everlasting. But thankfully, uh, not only is he talking about everlasting when he talks about the life that we have in him, but he is talking to the nation of Israel about the promised land, Canaan, that he's given to them. And the last reason I would tell you is that God's not done with Israel. You know, Pharaoh's army could not overrun them when they were, uh, the waters had parted. The Canaanite tribes could not defeat them no matter how big and mighty their warriors were. Nebuchadnezzar could not devour them and the, the Persian armies could not keep them in captivity. The Roman army could not rule them and Hitler could not annihilate them. The UN cannot intimidate them no matter how many resolutions they have. And I'm here to tell you that the country uh, named Russia will not harm them. Why do I know this is true? Because the Bible tells us that there's a 70th week in Daniel. A, a A week of seven years that have been set aside for the nation of Israel. It was very clearly laid out to the day the first 69 of those weeks. And then there was a break. And that break has been what is called the time of the Gentiles. Ladies and gentlemen, that time will come to an end at some point. You know, and I I, want to share with you a couple of things about Israel because, you know, you may hear from me, and and I am a proponent because God said, I'll bless those who bless Israel and I'll curse those who curse Israel. But let me just give you the reality about the nation of Israel. On one hand, if you look at this tiny nation, you'll find out that they have a very strong military Matter of fact, their military is the eighth rated in the entire world. That small nation has the eighth rated military in the entire world. They have been blasted uh, agriculturally. If you go and travel around the nation of Israel, you will think that you are on the island of Hawaii because of all the ver- variety of fruits and vegetables and that they are able to develop and how rich their soil is. Not only that, but as a country, they have been advanced technologically. God has uh, uh, raised up some very wise men amongst the tribes of Israel. And many of the inventions that we as a world um, enjoy come from uh, people who call themselves an Israelite. And then in 2015, the largest oil discovery uh, known to this point in time was found under the land of Israel. The normal uh, oil field that's uh, under the ground is usually about 35 feet deep. This one was 350 feet deep. Yeah. But now let me tell you this. On the other hand, we see Israel is still seeking God, and yet they're godless. If you go to the city of Tel Aviv, uh, they have uh, nothing on San Francisco. They're still looking for the Messiah. 
And this nation is an apostate nation. Part of that is the blindness that God has said will come upon them. And one of the prophecies is that that the nation of Israel will recognize God as their Savior. Let me bring it back to the church. Let me finish reading in Luke 21 and verses 34 through 36. Verse 34 says this, But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with, and then he gives three things. Number one, he says dissipation. Number two, he says with drunkenness. And number three, he said the cares of life. Church, this is what we need to be watching out for is that that word dissipation, that's a fancy word for foolishness. How, how many people have, have experienced that? How many people have children, and you've seen your children uh, live out foolishness? Jesus said, don't let your life be wasted on foolishness. And then he said, don't let your life be wasted on drunkenness. And, and I know I'm in a Baptist church, and I know you're telling yourselves, well, praise God, that's not me. He's not talking just about alcohol. He's talking about being intoxicated with the things of life, intoxicated with power, intoxicated with money, intoxicated with a great job, intoxicated with a great position. Because what happens is we get intoxicated with that and we forget about God's calling on our life. We forget about putting the gospel above all. And the third thing he says is the cares of this life. You know, here in America today, life happens and a lot of it happens. We get busy. Matter of fact, we are the busiest people who don't do much. I mean, many of us have said, man, I wish I could go back to the good old days. What were the good old days? The good old days were the days when uh, we looked back and and we could just uh, spend all day on the farm. And yet now we find ourselves driving to and fro and doing uh, everything and at the end of the day getting nothing done. And here's what he he finishes, and he says this, And that day suddenly will come upon you like a trap. Now, Jesus told the early church that when you see Jerusalem surrounded, get out. That prophetic warning saved countless of Christians' lives. Today, Jesus is giving a warning to the church today saying that don't let the things keep you down. Don't let it keep you from focusing on God and what he has planned for your life. Don't let the foolishness, don't let the the intoxication of what this world brings, don't let the cares of this life keep you and hold you back. Because one day it's going to come upon us and it's going to come like a trap and you don't want to be on the other side of that trap. In verse 35, it says this, For it will come upon all who dwell in the whole earth. Verse 36, But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place. The early church was able to escape. The question is, will the seven churches mentioned in Jerusalem, the churches that we make up, will we escape? Because the reality is this, um, the question that Jesus asks to all of us is, I've asked you before, and that is, are you ready? Are you ready to stand before God? Because it's coming. There's one day that is going to happen to us where we 
every one of us individually, as much parents as we want to on behalf of our children, we're not going to be able to. You are going to stand before God. They are going to stand before God. And the question is, church, are we ready for this? Because Jesus told us that day is going to come and it's going to come on those that are not ready, on those that are not focusing, on those that are not looking for his return. It's going to come on us like a trap. Which side of that trap are we going to be on? It's up to us. It's our choice. What would have happened if uh, uh, the early church, when they saw the army surrounding Jerusalem said you know what I think these walls are going to hold up they would have been killed just like those million other Jews what will happen to the church because I think I showed you last week where there are many people in the church that are not a Christ follower they've never established a relationship with Jesus Christ They've done everything on the outward, but they've never done what's important, which is on the heart. They've never taken Romans 10, 8, 9 to um, inside, where it says that if we believe in our heart, we believe unto salvation. We've never done that. Worship team, if you will come forward and get ready to uh, lead us in singing. I want to close with this thought to you all. One of the things I said last week was that um, as you look into the book of Revelation, as we walk through these words, make sure of your salvation. Don't be left behind when the time comes. Don't allow yourself to be trapped. Don't allow the, the foolishness that you've exhibited. Don't allow the intoxication of what this world, don't allow the cares of this life keep you from one day Spending eternity with Christ. And here's what I would encourage you is, if you look at these cards in front of you, if, if you don't know that you're going to spend eternity, I, I would fill one of these out and just mark right here, committing to Christ. And, I, and drop this in or stay after and, and talk with me. And allow me to show you. I had the privilege this week to sitting down with one of our, uh, those that attend our church and walking them through this. Because th this is much more powerful than our personal pride. Don't let pride keep you from getting into heaven. Maybe you have asked the Lord into your heart, but you've never taken that next step of believer's um, baptism. Man, I'd love to sit down with you. August 4th, we're going to be baptizing again. I would love for you to be able to take that step of obedience that the Lord has uh, called all of us to do. As a church, it's our honor to play a small part in all that God is doing in and through your life, and we would love to continue with you on that journey. To find out what your next steps could be in your relationship with Christ, simply go to www.tbccentralia.com forward slash next. You see, here at TBCC, it's our mission to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Christ who walk by faith and not by sight.